Well, welcome to the Potential Leader Lab podcast, and I'm your host, Perry Moffer, and I'm excited because today, as you can see, if you're actually watching it, there's a guest. And so now you don't have to listen to me drone on endlessly for 30 minutes about something. You can listen to somebody else drone on for 30 minutes about something. And, and I'm really excited to have Mitch. Um, I'll introduce him in just a second. I just want to tell you, I've heard Mitch speak several times to groups that I have, and it was, a, it was an amazing experience. And his message was, uh, I guess, so powerful enough, I wanted to have him on to have him share with more people because I think more people need to hear what he has to say. So uh, welcome, Mitch. Thanks. It's great to be with you, Perry. All right. Um, and I think the easiest way to do this kind of, um, I- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the intro. I'm going to let you do the intro by explaining how you came to the thing that you're doing, which is also a great intro into you yourself. So at this point, I'm going to just turn it over to you and, and let you tell the story about how you actually came up with these, with this, with this structure, this uh, framework that you share with people. So take it away. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, uh, I got introduced, you know, to burnout the hard way. And, uh, you know, burnout's not one of those things that you think, you know, sometime early in your career, man, maybe one of these days I'll get a travel around and talk to people about how not to burn out. You know, you, you tend to want to think of going around and sharing your success stories, but this story really came out of my own failure. Uh, I found myself several years ago, uh, burned out, man. I just hit the wall and, uh, it was something that had never happened to me before. I mean, I'd sure I'd been tired. I'd needed some time off those kinds of things, but I really never found myself in a place where, man, I just couldn't keep going. And it was much like the time that I was uh, running this half marathon in Vegas here, and I hadn't fueled enough before the race. You know, I thought I'd done everything right, but I just hadn't eaten enough. And I got out to about a mile 11 and a half and found myself in the middle of Las Vegas Boulevard, not being able to run anymore and, you know, hit the wall as a runner. Well, I I had that same experience, except this time in my work life where, uh, man, I had just realized I just was not fueling myself correctly. Actually, at the time, I didn't really know what was going on, but I just, I just hit the wall emotionally. And, uh, you know, I'd heard other guys talk about burnout. I'd heard other people talk about experiences that they'd had like that. And I kind of sloughed it off and thought, man, that'll, that'll never happen to a guy like me. I'm, I work hard. I'm the guy who's got seemingly boundless energy. I can keep going. I can do the thing. And, uh, then all of a sudden, you know, after a, uh, after a pretty tough season, after several years of going pretty hard at it, uh, I, I found myself uh, not being able to get it together. Um, I went to some counseling, uh, and this was over a period of months, um, just discovering what was, what was going on and how bad a shape I was really in. My, uh, my senior leader wisely sent me away to get some counseling. I spent a week with a counselor. Uh, after that, I came back and was was doing a little better as I began to understand what was going on with the the fatigue that I was feeling and kind of the chronic levels of fatigue that I was feeling, and uh, and and then eventually took five weeks completely off of work and uh, spent some time in some real deep self reflection about what I had done to myself and why. More importantly and began to find a way out of it. And it took about six months total before I started feeling like a normal human being again. And uh, again, it really caused me to have to to look back and to reflect and to start asking myself some real serious questions about how I was going to manage my energy, uh, how I was going to manage that, that this, this internal life, you know, that I bring to the things that I do, realizing that youthful enthusiasm was not going to save me anymore. 
you know, you get out past about 35 or 40 and youthful enthusiasm goes somewhere else. And I, I realized that I was going to have to start getting serious about making a plan to deal with this, uh, to deal with this replenishment issue that I had ignored for so many years. Uh, so tell me, so break down the framework for people. So they understand like there's five R's here, right. In your framework. So kind yeah. of just quickly go through and let people know, okay, these are the things and, and kind of, uh, and, and how they fit together for me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. What I discovered was uh, that instead of just uh, approaching it, like many people approach their replenishment, what they tend to do is to say, well, I'm feeling a little tired. I'm feeling a little, little worn out. I'll, I'll go do this or I'll go do that. And they, they do just enough to keep getting by. What I realized for me was I needed an actual plan. Um, I made plans for everything else. I, I, I discovered I really needed an actual plan. And in our organization, we actually gave people sabbaticals. So, I mean, lengthy times off. And I would often coach people in terms of how to take their sabbatical after the burnout and recovery and some learning. I started coaching them a lot differently. And I would ask five questions. I would say, number one, um, where are you going to get some rest? Like, what really is rest to you? And where are you going to go find some? So when somebody would come to my office and they would have this time off staring them in the face, I would make them answer the question, where are you going to really find some rest um, to set aside your work and to be able to shut down and to actually find some rest? And then the second thing I would say to them is, where are you going to find some um, kind of emotional, where are you going to unpack your emotional bags? Uh, in, you know, in leadership, we pick up all kinds of, of emotional baggage along the way from people that quit to difficult decisions to just the weight of leadership that we often carry, the weight of decisions that we make that oftentimes can weigh us down or weigh on us um, to the really hard things where oftentimes relationships will get broken or you have to lay people off or somebody does something that just, you know, stings you in the heart. Somebody criticizes you deeply about who you are or what you're doing. We pick up this kind of emotional baggage as leadership. So I'd ask them, where are you going to unpack your emotional bags? Where are you going to release? And that was the second R. Where are you going to release this emotional baggage? The third one I would ask is, where are you going to go to get reconnected with your sense of purpose? You know, who you are and what you bring to the table. Uh, realizing that our sense of mission and purpose and calling, if you will, is oftentimes the fuel that, that drives us. It's the fuel that actually gives us energy. When you think about somebody who's lost their sense of purpose, what kind of energy they have, they, they don't have a lot. And uh, I would ask people, where are you going to go somewhere and receive some inspiration that reconnects you with your sense of purpose? and get you back in touch with your unique contribution, the contribution that you make uh, when you show up in a room. And uh, how are you going to restir that, re, uh, reconnect with that, and get in touch with that? That's what I call receive. And then the, the last two were simple. I would say, where are you going to have some fun? Where are you going to go find some real recreation and, and have some fun? Uh, maybe have some fun that you wouldn't normally get to have over a long weekend or over a couple of days off, um, where are you going to do something that just you just deeply enjoy and finding some recreation? And then where are you going to connect relationally with people 
that have deep meaning to you? Where are you going to connect with people that give you empathy, that encourage you, that you enjoy the time with them? You enjoy just having great conversation about anything or about nothing, um, but that you enjoy spending time with. So those five R's develop from those questions. Where are you going to find some rest, some emotional release? Where are you going to receive some inspiration to reconnect you with your purpose? Where are you going to find real recreation? And then where are you going to connect relationally with people that have deep meaning to you? And that became a framework to begin to make a real plan for personal replenishment to keep us at our best, to keep us at an eight out of 10, 80% of the time. And that's, that's awesome. And it's funny because I, uh, it, it's interesting to me because I've been struggling with this myself. Um, and it isn't, it isn't the, it, it isn't what your framework does. It's the framework itself, right? Because what you came up with and understood was an idea or um, a thought or whatever those are, aren't enough. Like there has to be a framework. And, and I forget who said it, but there's a management thinker who said a, a bad system beats a good person every time. And, and I think that it's inherent sometimes with people that are in leadership roles, they get the idea they have to create their own. Like it's never, I can't borrow somebody else's system has to be mine. Like I have to make it up. And therefore we never adopt a system. We keep, we take somebody's system. We're like, oh, well, I have to tweak it. I have to do this. I have, I don't like this part. I don't like that part. And I think it really robs people of the opportunity to leverage systems that exist already. Right. So just, that's just a little aside that I hear when I, yeah. when I hear this framework, because it's, it's you, it, maybe it isn't perfect, but you can critique it after you do it, like actually do it and then see how it works for you. Right. Because yeah. absent a system, we do nothing. We can't, we can't scale anything. Absolutely. So, well, and, and we were, and you know, we, we had talked when we were together about, uh, about James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, you know, where he says in the book um, that it's, it's really not about our goals. It's really about our systems that we have systems that are perfectly created that that are perfectly designed to create the experience that we're we're having and a lot of times people come to me and they're completely dragging and they're struggling and they can't get their head above water and i ask them what's what's your system what's your process and they say well i don't really have one i just kind of take a day off here or vacation there or whatever it it's the absence of the system like you're talking about that really is the problem you know, it's that thing of that we don't rise. James Clear says in his book, we don't rise to the level of our goals. We sink to the level of our systems. And uh, without a system like this of some kind, some kind of framework that gives us guidance, some kind of framework that tells us what is working, some kind of framework that tells us when it's not working, um, that we can look back at, engage ourselves against. We tend to wander with, with this issue. I find a lot of times with business leaders and Perry, I know you work with a lot of business leaders and you can attest to this. Um, they don't really have clarity around what they look like. What is their goal here? What is their, what are they working towards here? How, what does their life actually look like when they're an eight out of 10? Uh, and oftentimes what ends up happening with them is they just kind of make it up as they go and never really get their head above water. Um, and end up really struggling. Yeah. And that's, what's, I guess the struggle, right? So when you're going across the country, talking to folks and business leaders and groups of people about this, you have five R's. So we have rest, release, receive, recreate, recreate, however you want to say it and relate. Right. So yep. is there, 
are there ones that people struggle with more than others? Are there ones where like, oh yeah, I got this, I got this, I got this. And one where they're like, yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, I think it's the simple and the most obvious one, and that is rest. It, it may be simple, but it's not easy. It's very easy for us to say, hey, man, you need to get some rest. But uh, when I talk to leaders about real rest and ask them what it, what it feels like, when is the last time they actually felt rested? What causes them to feel rested? I get a lot of blank stares oftentimes because nobody's really thought about it. And the common theme around the rooms that I speak in is that rest is about disconnecting from work. And that really is the crux of the issue. It's one thing to drive away from the office. It's a whole different deal to shut the work off that's going on inside our head. And that's what oftentimes I find with with executives and leaders is they may have left the office hours ago, but they can't seem to shut the work off so that they can actually get some sleep, so that they, they can actually let the system reset, that they can actually find some real rest. And so they find themselves working all the time, even though they left the office, you know, hours ago. And because of that, um, it, 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 uh, it can wear them out quickly. Yeah. One of the most fascinating things, like when, when I heard you speak is we talk about rest is that you ask the people, like some of the folks in there, you're like, hey, when's the last time you took a vacation? And yeah. And then felt like when you came back, you needed a vacation. So could you explain like what people say? Like, I, I know one of the folks in the room is like, the last time I took a vacation, I took my kids to go see my parents. And that was not a vacation. Like that was not yeah. rest. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oftentimes what we what we find is that people, uh, you know, they, they have uh, some time set aside to be away from the office, but they don't really have a plan for how they're going to actually spend that time in a way that's restful, that's going to bring them back more energized than they were when they left. They often pack their time off or then their vacation so full of stuff that it's not really a vacation. And then they say what we, you know, what we often say coming back is, man, I now I need a vacation for my vacation. And uh, yeah, the, the thing about, you know, looking at a vacation is again, what's the standard for a great vacation? Most people just say, well, I'm, I'm away with my family, with my kids, and we're doing something that isn't in the office. And yet they've taken their office with them on their phone. They've, you know, taken their office with them on their laptop and all their work just comes with them. And they've just transferred their work from their office to wherever they happen to be vacationing. And uh, now they've got two jobs. Now they've got to be dad or mom. They've got to be uh you know, caretaker to parents or entertainer of friends or things like this. And they've got to do their job because they've got their laptop with them or their phone with them and things like that. Uh, It really comes down to how do you disconnect from your work and to trust your work to the people that you can trust your work to so that you can actually set it aside and, uh, and find some rest. We talk about this issue in the category of rest called toxic responsibility. Uh, And it's that toxic responsibility (laughs) that keeps us at work, even when we're not in the office, uh, oftentimes. And, you know, that term actually came out of some groups that I was speaking to as we would have conversations around this issue. I'd hear people arguing with me (laughs) about their inability to get rest, but how irritated they were that they couldn't get any rest. And 
we kind of coined this term in one of the conversations and said, is, is that what we're talking about here? This, this responsibility that's gone overboard, this responsibility, sense of responsibility that's gone so far that now it's this very good and noble characteristic that every leader ought to have has become this negative that's actually wearing us out and, and potentially taking us out of leadership at some point because we, we can't seem to get past our sense of real responsibility and uh, separate that from what has become toxic responsibility. Yeah. And I think some of that, like I, I, I and in fact, I think in one of the groups, when you spoke to one of my groups, we got in kind of an argument with one of the folks because they kept, they, they kept justifying, rationalizing, you know, yeah. they, they weren't really, they weren't re- really willing to give that up. Like they weren't willing to acknowledge yeah. that could be a problem. And, and to be honest, I, it reinforces to me, I'm, I'm kind of in this place where I've, I've decided that I think leading and managing should be verbs and never nouns. Mm. Like we should never make them nouns. And I think that, that there's, a, there's a piece of this that, that dovetails into what you're talking about. Because if I look at my, like if I'm leading, if, I'm, if there's activities that I'm doing that are, that are I'm, I'm leading in an organization or I'm managing pieces of the organization, and I'm not there anymore, then somebody else should be able to do those activities because they're not connected to me. It is not labeled to me as a human. Like if I leave, those activities don't leave with me. Yeah. And I, and I think that's yeah. part of this transition is just having at some levels, the humility to say, well, somebody else can do this. Not only can they do it as good as me, maybe they can do it better than me. Like maybe, maybe if I left, I might be pleasantly surprised. I, I mean, I had a, it was the most amazing conversation. I had a leader who said they were sitting in a meeting and they said, I had this happen and this happen and this happened, these three big issues in their life and said, I was actually out of the office for three weeks. I had no choice but to be out of the office because of these succession of things that happened. And my mm-hmm. team did an awesome job and they did every, they didn't need me and everything was great when I got back. And yet this person is then talking about how they were struggling to think they could take a f- one day out of the office a week. And I'm like, well, what, you know, wait a minute, you just said you were going three yeah. weeks and everything was awesome. And now you're talking about just working from home a day, like I, I explain, like break that out for me. Yeah. And, and so I, I, I get it, man. I think that people just get a sense of, uh, I think it's more of a comfort. It's like they're comfortable being at work. And so that turns into, they need me at work. Yeah. It's that sense of, it's that sense of control that we think we're supposed to show up with as a leader you know, we get this idea somewhere that the leader has to have all the ideas. The leader has to know everything that's happening in the organization. The leader has to have their hands on every outcome. When in actuality, the best leaders that we all know are the leaders that show up and wisely ask the right questions. The leaders that show up and stir the best out of their team and draw the best out of their team. And sometimes the best doesn't come out of your team until we as the leader are out of the way so that those people can express real leadership and express real agency in our organization. And that this, this idea of toxic leadership or toxic responsibility oftentimes gets in the way, not just of our own personal rest and replenishment, it actually gets in the way of us building really high performing teams because it never really requires anything of anybody else besides ourselves. And, uh, you know, when we 
take are taking all the responsibility to ourselves. Think about it. Nobody else is having to bear the weight of responsibility and their leadership muscles are atrophying to some degree. And so we're not only not doing ourselves any favors by living that way, we're not doing anybody else on our team any favors. And ultimately we're not doing our customers. We're not doing our organization any favors by doing that because we're, what we're also doing is setting an example for everybody else that this is what leadership actually is when it isn't. And it cascades through the organization. And now the guy at the very edge, the people at the very edges of the organization can't take a break. They're wearing themselves out. They're not calling the best out of their teams because the person at the top is not calling the best out of them. Yeah, because it's, I mean, you you essentially are creating, whatever you're doing as a leader, you're saying this is the system. Like, Absolutely. no matter what I'm telling you, what I'm showing you is this is how leaders are supposed to behave in this organization, regardless of what I say. Right. So, yes, yeah, I might be telling you, hey, you should take time off. But if every time they leave, you're still in the office, th then the message is, well, you work until you work until you drop. Absolutely. And that's the thing about this issue is it becomes insidious in an organization where you want to set the the culture of, man, we are a hardworking, high performing organization. And there is nothing wrong with that. I am all in favor of getting people that love to work hard, that love to work well, that love to perform at a high level and managing out the people that just want to take a nap all afternoon and, and get paid double for it and all those kinds of things. Man, it's I'm all for that part of it. Uh, but what happens inside an organization is when sometimes when those bars are set, we forget what it requires to be a high-performing person. We forget that we need periods of on and off. I mean, every high-performing athlete knows that it's about stress and recovery. It's about activity and rest. It's got to be those things in the right kind of rhythms for me to perform at my best. I mean, you take, a, you take somebody who is, a, you know, like a marathoner. And you tell that person, great, you can set the world record in a marathon, do that every day for a month. Somewhere in the middle of the month, they stop doing that. <laughs> you know, somewhere they're, they're going to need to rest. And, uh, you know, I had a friend who actually did that one time. He did what they call the World Marathon Challenge, seven marathons on seven continents in seven days. It's, it's crazy <laughs> to think about. And he said, yeah. you know, you can do that for a little bit. But eventually, you've got to rest. You've got to let your body recover from whatever stress you've put yourself under so that you can then come back and perform even better later. And it's what we do in those times of recovery that are, are so, so impactful to how we do in times when we are required of. Yeah. And I think, too, that I think to that point, the, the rest, the, if you think about rest and activity, it's actually it's inverse, right? It's it's a ton more rest for this high level of activity, like this high performance. And I and I think we get those confused, too. It's like we put in quantity of work versus quality of work We're we're not measuring the output and how great the output is. We're saying I'm, I'm going to do more of it when in reality, the example you gave, like if you take any athlete or or any any great team, I mean, they're not doing that activity all the time. They're actually practicing and resting far more than they're they're ever performing. Absolutely, uh, we're we're loving it in Vegas these days because our Golden Knights are in the Stanley Cup now, and uh, you know we've been we all love watching the team, and you know the, it's funny because everybody thought Vegas people wouldn't be good hockey fans, you know, because what do we know? We're out here in the desert; we don't pay attention to things like that. But uh, we've become great hockey fans out here in the desert and learned a lot about the game. And this is one of the things that I learned about the game that was fascinating to me. 
that they, you know, they run, they run their team in shifts. Mm -hmm. They have lines, you know, that that run in shifts together. And those shifts are 45 seconds long when they're at their optimum. So in other words, they're sitting on the bench waiting and waiting and waiting. And then they get on the ice for 45 seconds at an incredibly high level, make their contribution and then get off and hand it off to the other, to their other team. And when they talk about the number one line or the number two line or number three line or number four line, you know, you think it's the first string, second string, third string, fourth string. That is not how hockey works. They got to have high performers at every level so that as they take these turns on the ice, these 45 second shifts on the ice, they can show up at their very best, perform at a high level, and then come back, recover, rest, and then get back on the ice for another shift uh, and perform at a high level again. Now, let's get back in the lab. Leadership is not simply a position or job title bestowed on you. Being a great leader takes commitment, resilience, and the ability to be adaptive. The E3 framework will help you reimagine everything you thought you knew about leadership and unlock the leadership potential that's inside you. Head to potentialleaderlab.com backslash hashtag opt in and sign up today. I'll be back to the lab right after this. Right. And, and I think that those, those, this is what amazes me too about us is just as, as learners, like, you know, we're trying to, we're all trying to evolve. It's, we know these things. Like we see that we see it everywhere and we acknowledge intellectually that, Hey, this works and it, and appears to be a great model, but yet we have this kind of emotional attachment to the way we do things and the eight hour workday and four to five days a week. And, you know, one day, you know, two days off. And, and it's just amazing how we're challenged of, in and of ourselves to make changes where we see the data. Like we, we know full well that we can get better results by doing it a different way, but it just is so challenging for us to make that change. Absolutely. And, you know, I talk about this in the workshop, as you well know, that there is a difference between us solving technical problems and us solving adaptive problems. And Ron Heifetz and some other professors at Harvard University did some study around this. You can read it in in the Harvard Business Review, um, where they talked about these technical and adaptive kinds of problems that we face. The technical problems are relatively easy to solve. Technical problems are, hey, I need some instructions. I need an app. Uh, just give me a good tool and I can solve this problem. And they're t- typically solved very simply. Adaptive problems are different. They're much more complex. They take a lot more reflection. They take a lot more thought. They take a lot more soul searching. Uh, they take a lot more uh, personal uh, work to be done. It's the, the simple illustration is all of us who have ever tried to manage our, our physical health and our weight and those kinds of things. Nobody is is confused about how it works. You know, exercise and eat right. Eat less calories than you burn. And, and nobody is confused about the technical part of the issue. What we are mystified by is why I can't seem to make the kind of choices that I need to make to do what is I know to be good for myself. It's the most interesting thing about our human nature is that we seem to resist things that we know are good for us. And uh, it takes, there is no app to help you with that. There, there is some soul searching that has to be done around that kind of question. There is some adaptive work that has to be done to unravel that inside ourselves so that we will actually let ourselves do the things that we know are good for us. And taking time to rest, we know that's good for us. Nobody would argue that we don't need to get good quality sleep every night. Nobody would argue that a regular exercise 
regimen would help us to be mentally more alert and physically at our best coming to the table with energy. Nobody would argue that clarifying our sense of purpose and mission as we show up to work, our sense of meaningful contribution, nobody would argue any of those things. And yet to be able to find it within ourselves to actually do the things that we know are going to help us, that's that adaptive issue that we've all got to do a little soul searching around. And man, I wish I had the silver bullet that I could just offer somebody to say, here's here's how you unravel all your personal issues so that you'll do the stuff you need to do. And if I could figure that out, I'd, I'd be a jillionaire because that is the issue, isn't it? I mean, that's the one that we are constantly struggling with to do what we know we need to do. Well, but in, in a sense, I think we do have the silver bullet, which is you have to do the heavy lifting. Like you, you have to do it for yourself. I mean, we, <laughs> exactly. we do know what the answer is. And, and we don't, I think part of it is we don't want to sit with our own thoughts. Like we, because just the stuff you were talking about getting to the base of this stuff, you know, the answering the question, if, when you're getting ready to do something, is this going to help me get closer or further away from my goal? Is it what I want now or what I want most? Right. And, and, and being able to answer that question every time we're doing something and just own the answer. Like there's no wrong answer. You're not, you don't have to blame yourself. And I think, and and actually I'm exploring this for myself and I'm going to do some writing on this issue of guilt. Like I think that Mm -hmm. leaders possess a tremendous amount of guilt. um, And we have to figure out how to, how to, how to work through that because I think we're all in, in our personal lives. And, and really there's a question and I'm going to, I'm going to get it off your sheet here because I'm looking I'm looking at your the yeah. replenishment plan, right? And and there's a question on here that just stops people in their tracks. And I and I now I start to ask it at the beginning of every meeting. What are you carrying? And and you get the most dumbfounded looks, right? And and they're like, "What do you mean?" I'm like, "Well, what do you think I mean?" Like, this is you you answer the question you think I asked. Like, whatever it is, just that's what we want to know. What are you carrying? And People in leadership roles, if they really start like listing that out, that can be a long list. And that isn't just about what I have to do at work. You know, you said mentioned earlier, you know, aging parents and family and all these other things. Like, did do you ever stop? Does everybody ever stop and go, what am I? What is why do I feel this way? Why well, feel this way? Because of all this stuff I'm carrying. And and I might have to carry it, yeah. but I also have to recognize that I'm carrying it. Yeah. I have to be open yeah. and honest. Yeah, absolutely. And it it really is a lost art of leadership, this this discipline of reflection. You know, man, in in, uh, in our American culture, and I, I'm not bagging on our American culture, man, I love living in America. Trust me, I've been to other places in the world, and this is a great place uh, to live. But uh, but our culture is a forward motion culture. It has become about speed Uh, It's become about, it's, you know, it's, it's first to market. I mean, it's, you got to go from zero to 10, you know, this today, it's idea this morning, delivery this afternoon. And, you know, we get so preoccupied with, with the speed and the pace at which we're going and brag about it, frankly, how you doing? Oh man, I'm so busy right now. Oh man, things, things are cooking right now. We're, you know, we brag about it uh, that we oftentimes miss what it is like you're saying that we are carrying along the way as as we're trying to pick up speed. I mean, anybody knows, man, if you want to make a race car faster, lighten the thing up in terms of its horsepower. It doesn't matter how much horsepower you've got if the thing is weighed down with all this extra baggage that it's carrying. Same way with us. Um, If we don't take some time to really reflect on and examine some of the things that we are carrying along the way, the weight of responsibilities that we're carrying both at work and at home and in our personal lives. 
And oftentimes, as I ask the question in rooms full of leaders, you know, take a minute, write some things down and just, I usually give them literally like 60 seconds of reflection um, and watch them start writing. Most of the times, most of the things on their list, not all, but most of the things on their list are personal things that related to their personal life or their family or the health of their children or the health of their aging parents or uh, their health of their spouse. Um, It's those kinds of things that weigh us down. It's oftentimes broken relationships that we have with family members or with coworkers or with past friends or, you know, those kinds of things are the emotional weight that we carry before we ever show up at work and then carry the weight of leadership. And it's, it's this, it's this lost art of reflection that gets us back in touch with those and at least able to recognize, man, this is why I'm feeling a little heavy today. This is why things feel like I'm kind of walking through the mud today. Um, so that we can acknowledge those things, maybe find some, just some, a group of friends, maybe find just a coworker, a mentor to talk with about these things, to lighten our load a little bit as we talk about these things out loud, to let us keep going at the pace that we actually want to go uh, by lightening our load from the things that, that we're carrying, or at least to find someone to help share the load with us and to support us in those things that we're carrying that are so heavy. Yeah, I think it was Carl Jung who said, um, until we make the unconscious conscious, we will call it fate and it will direct our lives. Wow. Yeah. Right. And that's, yeah. that's to your point. If we, it, what we need to do is just get it out. Like, let's just talk about it. Let's just acknowledge that it's there. We don't, it's not. And I think we're in such a rush to judge. Like I, I'm a bit, you know, one of, one of the things I believe is you can't, if you judge, you can't, there are three L's that are really important in life. Learn, love, and lead. And you can't do any of those if you're judging. And I think we're so quick to judge everything, especially I think now in our society, we're so quick to rush to judgment that we can't learn anything if we're judging everything. We, can't, we certainly can't love somebody and we can't leave, right? And, mm-hmm. and so I think to be able to kind of manage our own rush, the things we're trying to do in a hurry, and then figure out. For each individual person, what's important for you? Like, what really is important? Which, that you know, how well, how much rest do you need? What's what's really in your business? What's truly important? What outputs matter? Yeah, right. Not everything. I mean, I, how many? There's how many companies? I say you can do anything, but you cannot do everything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the really the whole key to this issue of personal replenishment is awareness, because I I talk to leaders all the time, and I was one of these leaders taking a day off. I took a day, uh, like a reset day once a month where I would take a day out of the office to go, you know, kind of reset and things. I would take two vacations a year, one in the winter, one in the summer, very intentionally. But it was my awareness around those things. It was my awareness of what I was doing in those things that were making them completely unhelpful to me. I would just burn through a day off like I would burn through a work day. And I would get to the end of my day off going, I wonder, like, I would honestly, I wouldn't even ask the question. I would just, you know, put the shoes back on and go to work the next day. But when I started asking myself, what does a real day off look like that actually lets me start feeling more rested and the awareness around that? Now my day off took on a whole different kind of component. Now this day away that I would take took on a whole different kind of effectiveness because I was just aware. And the one thing that I tell you about speed is, Speed narrows your focus. 
I mean, just get in your car. I'm, I'm not re- recommending this, but you know what I mean? Get in your car, drive hundred miles an hour down the freeway. The faster you go, the more that motion blur starts to do this and, and tunnel your vision. And you become less and less aware of what's going on around you and only aware of what's happening in front of you. And man, speed is kind of this um, self, uh, 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 what am I trying to say? This self-propagating problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, 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 the faster you go, the more exhilarating it becomes, but the narrower your focus becomes and the less aware you become. And that's what, that's why speed will kill you is because eventually it'll make you so unaware of what's happening around you that you'll end up in, you'll end up in a pile by the side of the road and, um, and not really maybe even understanding how it happened. So what you're, you know, what I hear you talking about is this, this awareness building of man, what is going on in my life? What is, what is my energy level actually? Like, when do I stop and take a, take a dipstick on where am I on a scale of one to 10? Like how, how full is my tank? You know, how, how, how well am I doing? How much energy do I actually have? What are the things I'm carrying? What is affecting me? How clear and sharp is my contribution and how much am I actually living into that rather than just focusing on doing the mundane of the everyday, you know, um, you know, how much time have I taken for recreation? That's why I think this framework that I talk about is so important to be able to have some standards, to have some, some benchmarks that ask you the questions that you need to be asking and keeping you aware on a regular basis. Yeah, no, it's awesome. And I, I want to be cognizant of the time. I think we could talk for another hour, which we might, or maybe I'll, maybe we'll do this again. Cause I think there's a lot more in this space that um, the things that you're concerned about, the things that I'm, I'm concerned about overlap with people that have chosen to take on the mantle of leading, right. To, to, to like burden, to take themselves and, and, and put themselves in a position to do those activities for people and take responsibility. And, and there has to be an awareness, there has to be an intentionality about it. And, and I think too, the, we have to start asking ourselves bigger questions. You know, I, I sit with people and they say, oh, my goals for next year with the, with the, we're going to double the revenue. And I said, well, why? And it's, there's no answer. It's like, I mean, so is that the ultimate goal? Is it just, so next year you're going to double and then next year you're going to, I mean, so what is the, and, and then why is that important? Like, why is that doubling of revenue important? What is it you're trying to accomplish? What's the end game here? Yeah. Um, and I think to your point, just slowing down and being more aware of, let's figure out some different questions to ask. Yeah. Like let's, some meaningful questions that deal with the humanity of what we're doing and not just the business side of it. So I, I, I love what you're doing. I, I think it's it's great work that leaders need. Um, so tell tell everybody where they can find you. Like if they want to get a hold of you, how, where would they find you? Your website, your email, wh- what's the best place to look for you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the best place to find me is uh, through my website, refillcoaching.com. And uh, you can just email me at mitch at refillcoaching.com if you want to go that way. And uh, I'd just love to have a conversation around this and just to begin to explore with people, you know, where they are and how, how we can maybe come alongside them and offer some, some real help so they can live and lead more at their best all the time. Well, I think it's awesome too, because you just, you don't just work with one person, you'll work with an entire leadership team. You, when, when this starts permeating a company, right. When, when a leader says, Hey, this is what I'm doing. And this is also what we are going to do. Like we are yeah. going to slow down and ask these questions and you can literally see an organization transform at that point. Absolutely. And that's man, one of the most critical pieces. It's, it's great when a individual begins to take this kind of stuff up and live a different kind of lifestyle mm-hmm. and live at a better level for themselves. 
But man, it is powerful when it happens inside an organization. And there's some things that organizations can definitely do uh, to begin to help themselves. And I do some work with organizations like that to do workshops with them, to do coaching with their teams, uh, to begin to stir a different kind of culture inside an organization that helps keep an organization at an eight, 80% of the time as well. Yeah. Well, I think that's one of the things I walked away. I mean, you, you even said when you do that exercise with the group and you say, don't, don't leaders have a responsibility to be an eight, 80% of the time. Isn't that if, and if nothing else, if you just walk out with that idea that what a how do i know i'm at an eight like for me what's an eight like to define it like you walk people through and say okay this you've just defined this as an eight for you now the next question is how do you show up as an eight 80 percent of the time and if nothing else if they just walked away with that and they actually did that all the time it would be a huge transformation for themselves yeah. and those that they care about yeah yeah it's a game changer when you begin to identify the qualities that you actually want to have because uh, once you do that, then you can then you can do things to get those qualities, um, as opposed to just kind of going around the room, going, "How's everybody doing?" And everybody goes, oh, "I'm fine, I'm good, thanks." Thanks for asking. You know, I'm and I'm right. nine this week or whatever, and never really get specific about it. You know, you can't you can't shoot at a target that isn't there. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, Mitch, I greatly appreciate you coming on. It's been great talking to you. I look forward to talking to you again in the future. Um, I wish you the best of luck. Great. Harry, thank you. Yep. So uh, we're signing off another episode, first guest. So uh, love to hear what you think of the conversation Mitch and I had. And as always, make sure you're taking care of yourself and take care of everybody else as well. Have a great rest of your day.